I just love sharing about missions and excited about what God's doing here at Stonebridge. And it's just, it's just been really, really um, an encouraging thing for me to see what God has already been doing here at Stonebridge. And, and we believe God's going to do so much more. And just as David prayed earlier, I just resonate with his prayer that you would just be open to the Spirit of God this morning. That he can speak to you uh, right where you are. And that he has a plan and purpose for you and your life and your ministry. And I know when you have Mission Sunday, people get a little squirrely. Say amen. That's a say amen right there. You got to learn my sign language. And, you know, I know many of you would say, you know, God, please don't call me to Africa. And I've been in this church long enough that I would just resonate with you and say, it's okay. You don't really need to go to Africa. So just relax about that. Don't worry about it. But uh, God has a plan and purpose for all of us. Uh, Before we go a little deeper, I want to ask you a few questions about your involvement in missions and uh, just give you a little sort of background on the on the world. The world is a huge place, 7.2 billion, and I'm using round figures, so please don't Google my statistics to see if I'm exactly correct. But there are about 7.2 billion people that live in the world. And it's kind of broken down into thirds. One-third of those people really are followers of Jesus in some form or another, whether Catholic, Protestant. They've made some kind of decision to follow Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. One-third of those people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and in basic some sense said, no, thank you, Jesus. I don't want to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Buddha or uh, Allah in the Islamic world or Soko Gakkai or whatever you want to say or trees or whatever it is. But a third of those people have heard the gospel and said no. And there's another third of people who've never known there was an Easter or a Christmas or a Jesus or a God that loved them in that context. And yet Romans tells us that that God's made a way for every human being to know about him. And yet those people have never had the opportunity to have someone come to them and say, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. And when you think about those numbers, if you took China, which has one point, however many billion India has one point something billion, and my beloved Africa has one point something billion, three billion, almost half of the world's population of those people who many, many, many of those people don't know Jesus. That's a huge importance for us. But what's even more amazing for me is that God cares so much about those people, but he also cares about us and he cares about the people that live right here in this city. Amen. And he wants to do great things in each and every one of us. So I want to ask you these questions. How many of you have ever been involved in a short-term mission trip, either locally or globally? Let me just see your hands. Wow, that's awesome. And how many of you have just made a contribution to a short-term mission trip or supported a missionary in some form or another, some monetary support of missions? Okay, David, look right now. I'm just kidding. But that's amazing. How many of you all have prayed for missionaries? Every hand goes up. And it's like those are the big three of missions. I always talk about them, pray, go, and give. And what we tend to do, I think, most of us, is that we sort of allocate ourselves into one or two, not usually three of those categories. We can say, you know what, I'll pray for a missionary. I'll even write a check, but I ain't going. 
it's just dangerous out there. And I'm just not going. It is not my deal. And then there are others that will say, you know, I'll go and I'll pray, but I ain't giving. I'm just not. It's not my deal. And it's just part of who it is, who we are and how we're kind of made up. But I really believe if we look at God's word and we look at what he's calling us to, I really believe he's calling us to be involved in all three. That he wants us to pray for missionaries. He wants to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. He wants us to be a part of that intercession of praying for those people that are in India and China and Africa and right here in Marietta. He wants us to to give financially in some way. Give your time. Give your service. At the end of the service, we're going to have some mission leaders that are leading these short-term teams. And, and, and they're giving of their resources to, to help us be better equipped in missions. And then the last is simply to go, to go somewhere. And, and I believe that God's really calling all of us to go somewhere. Amen? Not everybody said amen, and I get it. <clears throat> I get that. That means that if you don't say amen, it means you don't agree with that, and I understand that. But but honestly, I believe as we look at the scripture we're going to look at today, and as we look at the kind of the foundation of who we are as a church and what we believe, there's so many amazing missional scriptures, and yet when you look in the Bible, never once is the word mission or missionary ever really mentioned in the Bible. That word doesn't exist. It just talks about Paul hearing the Macedonians, and he went over and he traveled to all those places. But you never hear those words, and yet the Bible is so full of those stories. When you think about Isaiah 6, one of those famous missionary passages, many of you know it, when it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne, and a train of his robe filled the temple. And there were seraphim who had six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were saying to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as they did that, the temple began to shake. And Isaiah is watching this, and he gets scared. And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And as he confessed that, one of those angels went with tongs and grabbed a red hot coal and came and touched his lips and said, see, your guilt's taken away and your sin's atoned for. And then when that happened... Isaiah's ears opened up and he heard the Lord saying, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Here am I. Send me one of the greatest missional passages in the Bible. And I would believe that today God would do the same thing to us, that he would open our ears, that we could hear his cry, his call to what he's calling us to. The other famous one I love is is in Exodus chapter four, when Moses is standing before God. And God says to Moses, you're standing on holy ground. He tells him, throw your rod down. He throws it down. It becomes a snake. It terrifies him. He runs away. God tells him to pick it up by a tail. If you've ever caught snakes, that is just not the way you want to pick up a snake. But God tells him to do that just for being simply obedient to his voice. And Moses does it. And he says, I want you to set my people free. And Moses goes, "Uh, not me. Send Aaron. Help, you know. That's a great missions passage about God calling someone to go into a place to help people become, you know, I I really wish I had been that missionary to be able to kick Pharaoh, you know, all the things that he did, calling down those curses, you know, y'all aren't with me on that, huh? I mean, that was like, 
I'm not talking about the Ten Commandment version of it. And then there's, of course, Matthew 28. You all know that, 16 through 20, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. And do not be afraid, for I'm with you. Amazing passage of Scripture. And, and for us, as a church and as an organization, we've taken the Scripture that, that I probably resonate with more than any other, which is from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Most of you have probably heard it or you know it. When Jesus said, these were his last words to his disciples before he ascended. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's an amazing passage that Jesus was giving his disciples. And so we as a church have said, what are we doing as a church where we want every person in the confines that call ourselves Stonebridge to be involved in some missional activity, either in Jerusalem, which would, if we can show that slide, that is right here in downtown Mayretta. Amen? And our pastor was called to this place. He wasn't called to Smyrna. He wasn't called to East Marietta. He wasn't called to Vinings. He was called to Marietta, specifically right here on the square. And that was the calling God placed on his life. And we as church members have come to surround ourselves and say, we want to join in that vision of what that means for a Jerusalem-based ministry. But what that means is not every one of you are called to to Jerusalem-based ministry right here in Marietta. Amen? I mean, I'm not, even though I'm here and I'm actively involved in the church. I love Marietta and I want to be involved in it, but my heart is in Africa. I love Africans. I want to go there every time I see an African. I go nuts, whether I'm in New York City or Toronto, and they're like, you are the whacked out white man, you know? And then the second one, he says to go to Judea, which I just call Cobb County. It's, it's the greater environment that we live in. It could be county family services, just what EC, what's the group that's sponsoring the foster family? Cobb EMC. So that's Cobb County. I mean, that's, it's, it's greater than Marietta and it's in the, the greater environment. The third one we call Samaria. And Samaria is like prison ministry, homeless. And then if you're called to the bar, don't be called when you're thirsty. But I love in this church that I, I come up here very often and when I do, I see guys like Bucky Smith and Richard Wanell and they've got these homeless guys lined up helping them to get their social security, helping them to to function in our culture without enabling them, but helping them to be able to stand on their own two feet. And that's part of that Samaria ministry. Tina Williford works with prostitutes, and I'm not called to that ministry. And I'm glad that she's doing that. And then, you know, there there are other ministries that we would consider those places that really nobody really wants to go to. Samaria was a place that everyone avoided. And then the last, of course, is to the ends of the earth. And that's... That's my bailiwick. That's my wheelhouse. That's where I love. And, and that's, you know, if, if I can spend more of my time in Africa, then, you know, that's where my greatest joy is. But I believe, men and women, that today God would want to speak to you specifically and clearly that he wants you to be involved in ministry, either in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or to the ends of the earth. How many extroverts do we have in the room? Let me just see your hands. There's like 12 of us. 
And so I used to ask this in a church how many introverts there were, but nobody raised their hand. So, you know, it's like, I ain't raising my hand, not in a public place, you know. But the reality is, you see, you saw the hands go up. I mean, if I'm trying to reach an introvert, I will kill them. You know, it's like, hey, I want to tell you about this. Back off, dude. Who are you? You know, calm it down. But introverts, y'all know how to speak to each other, and I don't know that language. And so I'm trying to say to you that God wants to use you as an introvert to reach introverts. And that I think many of us have made excuses about doing ministry because you all have not been to seminary like David and I have, or you haven't been through the Disciple Bible Study Program or Whatever it is that we say in our minds that gives us the excuse that we can't be engaged in ministry. And I want to say to you, the thing that I've loved being under the leadership of David Eldridge is that his passion, I believe, as I see him, is that when you come into the confines of this thing we call church, that God would so embolden you and infuse in you that spirit-led thing of what we call doing your deal, that's going to be focused in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or to the uttermost parts of the earth. And my, my, my prayer today is that you would hear the voice of the Lord clearly speak to you about a place. And that you would be willing to say yes to whatever that is. Because God does have a plan and purpose for every one of you. And he wants to use you to reach lost people. Amen? So I want us to, to get into the scripture. We're going to look at... Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Oh, my bad. I got one more thing before we do that. I got ahead of myself. We also, in the midst of doing all the ministry that we do, we have several families and individuals that we support as a church, and they're part of our family. They're an extension of our family. We're just going to rip through these real quick. And I just want you to, I mean, look and pray and ask the Lord even the, the person or the name or the country where they're serving, that God may speak to you. And outside on the back table, Kim's done an amazing job of just setting up pictures and prayer cards of each of these people that we support. So Alex McCurley serving in Ireland. Josh and Mandy Wheeler. And what's their baby's name? Uh, Haba. Haba. Good American Marietta name. Serving in Turkey. And then Matt and Katie Nelson serving in Cambodia. We know Jason and Felicia Winkle. I hope all of you do. And we're praying for Micah as he's going through some cancer things right now. And they've been serving in China. And then Larry and Karen Reagan who are amazing mission trainers and mission leaders. They do short-term. Is Larry here? He wasn't at 11. I mean 9. But they're amazing. And they help train our missionaries as well. Evan and Casey Post. Serving in North Africa, if we told you the country, we'd have to kill you. And then Joshua and Monique Yarbrough serving with E3 Partners. And Susan Kelly also serving with E3 Partners, specifically in Tanzania. And then Justin and Elizabeth Leonard serving in Turkey. And then I'm serving with Catalyst for Africa based here in Marietta, Georgia, to many countries in Africa. So that's that's our group. And I want you to say, I mean, I want you to... To know you should have great pride in the fact that these are amazing people doing amazing things. And we're just privileged to be a part of their extension of their ministry. And Stonebridge 
pours into their lives financially, prayerfully, emotionally, in whatever ways we can to to equip them to be the best missionaries they can be. We call them ours, and they're part of us, and I'm part of that, and I'm grateful to God for that. So give yourself a pat on the back and thank God for that. Amen? So let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. As I was preparing for this message, I'm always in the strength finders. I'm a context person, so I love history. And so I was reading a little bit before this just to kind of see, one, where does God speak to people in Genesis? And he spoke to Adam. He spoke to Cain. He spoke to Noah. And then he spoke to Abram. And Abram was the son of Terah, I don't know how you say that. In Hebrew, it may be Terah or something, Terah, you know, for us deep south in the gone with the wind. His name was Terah. <clears throat> but Terah was the father of Abram and Haran and a guy named, uh, hold on, Nahor. And so Terah had those three people and Haran had three children Two girls and a boy, and the boy was Lot, and Nahor married one of Haran's daughters. That's weird, but I guess that's what they did back then. But And Abram was married to Sarah, and that's all we kind of know. And then it says that Terah, in verse 30, 11 verse 30, Genesis eleven thirty, Terah took Abram and Sarah and Lot, and from Ur, where they were, They set out to go to Canaan, but as they were going, they settled in Haran. And I thought to myself, that's a lot like us. Maybe God's called us to a place or to do something, and we get settled. Do you understand? You get busy, or you get overwhelmed, or you get where you bought the mortgage, you bought the car, You've got the job and everything becomes sort of settled for you and you forget about going to Canaan. So Terah, on his way to Canaan, stops in Haran for whatever reason, I don't know, and they settle there. And maybe this morning, some of you might be feeling like you're settled. You're kind of like, God, don't disturb my stuff or God, help me get out of this stuff and I want to be free I don't know where you are, but maybe God's trying to nudge you a little bit and say, look, don't be settled. And so then we get to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and the Lord speaks specifically to Abram. And and just think for a moment, who was Abram? I mean, who was he like, if we look at the history, if you look at, I mean, he's not even, he's just mentioned a couple of times in Genesis 11, and that's all we know about him. He's the son of Terah. He has a wife who is... um, 
not able to get pregnant. And that's really all we know about. He wasn't rich. He wasn't famous. He wasn't. He was just an ordinary guy. You know what I'm saying? That's all we know about Abram. I mean, it wasn't like he was some special person. And yet, for some reason, God just speaks to him. So what I want you to know this morning is that each one of you could be Abram. You could be that guy, that girl, that woman. That God just simply speaks a word to you and says, I want you to do this. This is what I want you to do. And when God spoke to Abram, he said, I want you to leave your country, your father's household, and leave everything that you know and go to somewhere. I'll tell you where that somewhere is, but everything about a person in the Middle East, land is their identity. Land is their identity. When I work in Kenya, East Africa, there are the Maasai that are the most famous warriors of Kenya. They're the herdsmen. They herd cattle. They have a thing called a crawl, and they bring their cows in to sleep in the house with them. I mean, it's like a, I would say, almost an inappropriate affection for their cows. (laughs) But that's their life, and their land is their life, and their adjacent tribe to them are the Kipsigis. And what they say is that when time began, all the cows belonged to the Kipsigis say to the Kipsigis and the Maasai say to the Maasai. So if the Kipsigis decide to go over into Maasai land and take a few cows from them, they belong to them originally. And so they get stabbed or shot with a bow and arrow or whatever because Their land was theirs, and that was their identity, and this is part of who they are. I'm I'm a native son of Marietta, I have to say. I'm an OM. Do I hear any amens? Is there only a few of you in here? My mama went to Marietta High School. I think my grandfather, there wasn't even a Marietta High School then, but he probably would have gone. And my mama used to take the trolley into downtown Marietta. When I was a little boy, I had lemon sours at Atherton Drugs. And I'm an OMR. All my siblings graduated from Marietta High School from 1964 until 1980. All five of our siblings are OM. That's part of my identity. I was in New York City a couple of weeks ago, and I'm in the city. Do you know how many people cared about whether I was from Marietta or not? <laughs> Who are you talking to? You know, they don't care, New Yorkers. But that was, you know, that's kind of, that, that was my identity. And for Abram... That was all he had. This was, this was who he was. The other thing that marked him for his identity was his ability to reproduce, to be able to have children. And Abram, it said two or three times, Sarah was barren. Was that important in their culture? Huge. And he's 75 years old. In Africa, this is a funny thing. If a man marries a woman and she's unable to have children... It's always the woman's fault. And so he'll marry another woman. And for some reason, she's not able to have children. But it's never the man's fault. (laughs) Go figure. But in this culture, in Abram's culture, his land and his ability to be able to reproduce are the essential ingredients about who he was. And yet, as this passage begins, I love this. God said to Abram, 
Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I show you. And he didn't stop there. So the first thing that I would say to you on the back of your paper, and I'm not like David. I just wrote three words, simple. The first one is listen. And my, my, my exhortation to you is that you would just ask the Lord to open your ears that you could hear his voice. Because I believe he is like as God spoke to Isaiah. He's crying out and saying, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And in this passage, he's specifically talking to Abram to say, Abram, I want you to leave your father, leave your country, leave your household, and go into a land I'll show you. But the amazing thing was, he didn't stop right there. Look at what he does in verses 2 and verses 3. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What an amazing word. Wouldn't, would to God that we would just take that as ours. That God would speak to you this morning and say, you know what? You're, I want to bless you. I want all people will be blessed through you. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. And Abram, he had to think, being married to Sarah, he was not able to have any children. God was mocking him. How can he be a blessing? How can he, like, reproduce if he has no capability of doing that? And yet God's saying to him, all generations will be blessed through you. And you're going to bless so many people. And, and, and Abram, we get... So the, the reality is that when God speaks that word, whatever he tells you to do, as you look at God's word, it's always accompanied with his confidence and with his promise and with his blessing. He never... if If God were going to speak to David Eldridge and say, I want you to go to Africa, David, like lifetime, he would like go into a conniption. You know, I've asked him several times and he just, I love, he just goes, nope. (laughs) You're going to go to Africa with me? Nope. Go to Guatemala anytime he wants, but he ain't going with me to Africa and that's fine. I like to touch. He doesn't. We're good. But the reality is God's not in the business of taking somebody like David Eldridge and saying, hey, I want you to go to Africa. I want to make your life miserable. Whenever he speaks a word to us, he speaks a word that comes with blessing and promise and truth. And I think, David, I hope you heard what he said this morning in his prayer. I think, honestly, we have a hard time really trusting God. We have a hard time really trusting that he can take our lives, that he can use your life, that he would want to use your life. And I think many times we have that voice in the back of our head saying, I screwed up last week. And God says, I don't care. I want to use you. I'm an introvert. We've already gone over that. No excuses anymore. Amen, introverts? Just say amen. Just one time. Out loud. In a church service. God wants to use you. God wants you. He wants you to be a blessing. He wants you to bless people. I brought the baby in on purpose just to make it feel more like Africa. (laughs) But that God wants to use you to bless people and that all peoples will be blessed through you. That you would believe that right now and that God's calling you to a specific, I believe, to a specific place. 
somewhere in Jerusalem, which might be in Marietta here, somewhere in Judea, in Cobb County, somewhere in Samaria, somewhere to the ends of the earth. And that if you would simply hear his voice and obey him, these blessings would come upon you. That's the second point, that God's blessings always follow his word. And the last piece is, verse 4, So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Hallelujah to Jesus. For me, in my life, that's the place God called me to go to that land, whatever that was. And it began for me as a young boy when I was 10 years old. Every time I speak and wherever I am in the world, if I'm in the middle of Africa and they put a little wooden podium up there, every time I'm there, right here is a place where I came to Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, do you have a place that you know that you gave your heart to Jesus? That you said, you know, I know that place, Michael. I know where I accepted Jesus into my life. I know where I said, I'm not going to follow myself anymore. I'm going to follow you. Ten-year-old little boy out on Roswell Road at the old Marietta camp meeting. Reverend Claude Smithmeyer was a preacher. And I came down bawling my eyes out. And I said, dear Jesus, Come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. And God saved me when I was a 10-year-old boy. And I began to hear God speak to me as a 10-year-old boy. And then when I was 13, I went to summer camp. We called it youth camp. Now it's one camp or whatever y'all name it now. I don't know. But it was at that place where some speaker was speaking and he said, Would you allow Jesus to be Lord of your life? And as a 13-year-old boy, I didn't even know what that meant. But I said, yeah, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I'll go anywhere he asks me to go. I'll do anything he asks me to do. I'll say whatever he asks me to say. I want to I follow Jesus. I want him to be Lord of my life. 13-year-old little boy. Then when I was 16, I was working out at the Cobb County Solid Waste Division out on County Farm Road. Y'all know the place? It's called The Dump. My daddy was the director when I was in high school. How proud I was. But I loved that job. I mean, I learned to drive front-end loaders and 18-wheelers when nobody was looking. And I was a scales operator. And then I worked up in the wood dump, which was the boringest, dumbest, lamest job. You sat in a little wooden hut with a little window, and a truck would come up with a pile of wood. And I'd go out, and I'd take his ticket, and I'd say, go dump it right over there. But it was in that place, in some lull moment that God began to speak to me. And he said, Michael, I don't want you to be a lawyer or a veterinary doctor. Those were my two passions of sorts. He said, I want you to be in ministry. And I wrote some little simple sermon down on a scratch piece of paper. And I mean, something happened to me when that that happened. God spoke to me when I was 10 When I was 13, when I was 16. And I just simply said, yeah, God, I'll I'll do that. I'll go into ministry. When I was at Marietta High School, most of my black friends didn't call me Mosley. They called me Moses because I was a Christian. God wants to speak to you, men and women. 
He has a calling for your life. Not that you're going to be like me and go to the far-flung fields of foreign service, but he wants to use you right here. You have gifts. You have gifts that I have no clue about what those are or how to do anything that you do. And God has people he wants you to reach because he's called you into that place. We cannot discount when Jesus, the last words that he said to his disciples were his last words to us, men and women. But you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I would say for me in my last calling after my wife and I and our three kids spent ten and a half years in Ghana, West Africa, I come home from from Africa. I, I land here in Marietta. David becomes my pastor, and we settle in here in Marietta. And I find myself frustrated beyond belief. I find myself in a, the deepest funk of my life. And in that moment, God took this broken person and said, I have a plan and purpose for you. And my pastor said to me, Michael, I'll do whatever I can to mobilize you to help you in whatever way it is. And I was like, thank God there's a voice like that in my life at that time. I even, listen, don't let this out. I went back to my bishop as a United Methodist minister and said, I'll be a Methodist pastor. Oh, Jesus. And literally, like, there were no small enough churches that I would fit into. I love the Methodist system that I've been an ordained elder in the Methodist church for 21 years. And because I've never served as a senior pastor, I would take the smallest church at, the, at that salary. My daughter, who just graduated from college, would make more than I would as a United Methodist minister. And I thought, shucks, you didn't have a church for me? What am I going to do? And there was a picture in my mind of me standing with a Kenyan and a Nigerian. And when I saw that picture, it was taken in December of 2012. I heard the Lord speak to me and say, Michael, walk into the sunset with these guys. There aren't a lot of people walking alongside these African brothers and sisters who are winning people to Jesus, planting churches, doing the work of evangelists in amazing places. And I said, oh, God, really? I can do that? And so I launched at 50 years old and started that ministry from nothing. And this church was one of my greatest supporting churches in the midst of it. David said, you know, our post office box is 176 Roswell Street. Catalyst for Africa. That, that would be this office in case you didn't know. So my mail comes here. Your mail comes here. And so God launched me because I heard him speak to me. Has it all been perfect and easy? Absolutely not. But it's been Worth every minute of it. In two weeks, I'm going to Mali and Niger. Those are, y'all know where those are, right? Right there in the middle of Africa. Mali is about 90% Muslim. Niger is 98% Muslim. What am I going to do? I'm just going to love on two pastors. One named Christophe Dembele. The other, Panlieba Yuba. We're going to do ministry together. We're going to hang out together. We're going to bleed together. We're going to cry together. We're going to pray together. We're going to laugh together. We're going to be in ministry together. And I'm going to say to those guys, you're not alone. And you as a church, come along behind me and support me as I do that. Men and women, that's what the kingdom of God is about. But it's not all about that because each one of you has a gift. 
right here. And it may be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I don't know what that is, but I want to say to you this morning, God is calling. If you would open your ears, you would hear his voice. And I believe that God would do something amazing in your life today that would so ignite you to do something you never dreamed or imagined could happen. God wants to use you to change. I know as I've spent time with our pastor that his greatest passion is to see a church who's doing their deal. This is all part of doing your deal. Amen? That God would say to you today, do your deal. And you know what I love? We're going to close in just a minute. I hate it when a pastor does that because it will be about ten minutes. But we don't have another service because we can just keep going. But I love that in my family, as I look at my kids... Their hearts are turned toward the Lord. Some are walking much closer. Some are not as close. But my oldest daughter, Anna, she serves in a little town called Bethlehem. In the Middle East. So I FaceTimed her two days ago. I saw her and I said, Anna, how are you doing? She goes, Dad... I have a headache. I said, why? She said, oh, I was up at the high school, which is about three miles from downtown Bethlehem. And she said, I stuck my head out the window and the tear gas from where the Israelis had been just bombing my students and my community just came in and just killed me. People look at me and they go, why would you do that? Why would you let your daughter go there? You know why? Because she heard God speak to her to say, go to these people. And she pours her life into little Palestinian Christian and Muslims. And every day she has a chance to give them hope. To give them purpose. And she pours her life into them. So what if a... Uh, a rocket comes in and destroys that school. I would be devastated. But you know what? I would say, thank you, Jesus. She died doing the thing that she loved the most. I want to tell you something, men and women. God has just as important a thing for you to do right here, right now. And he wants to use you just as significantly Right here, right now, as my daughter in Bethlehem. And I pray that you would receive it from God. I I think it was a Microsoft commercial. Have y'all seen this commercial where a bunch of little kids are doing things? Anybody anybody watch television in here? It's a Microsoft commercial, help me. And they said, one of these people is going to do great. And I wanted to say, B.S., In God's eyes, every one of them is going to do great. And I want to say to you, men and women, every one of you is going to do great. Every one of you, if you just open your ears and you hear his voice, it comes with a blessing and promise. And he will empower you and equip you to be his voice in his ears 
and his hands. And you will change the world. In my little podunk organization called Catalyst for Africa. I got Don't you worry. First service, he didn't have them up here for me, but we got them now. We say when we sign off on a letter, we're changing the world. In Jesus' name, one relationship at a time. I would say to you, Stonebridge Church, God has a purpose and plan for your life. And he wants to use you to change the world. In Jesus' name, one relationship at a time. One friendship at a time. One conversation at a time. This is the last thing. I want to tell you about two of my heroes. Some of you know who Jim Elliott is or was. He was a missionary in Ecuador among the Wadani Indian tribe. They were one of the most vicious, unreached people groups. And he had four other colleagues. They were all from Wheaton College. They went down there with their spouses. And they had done all kinds of work and legwork and trying to figure out how they were going to reach them. They were down in this little snake serpentine river. And they were just hanging out, trying to have contact with these Wadani Indians. And on January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, three others, I can't name them, all were martyred. They were killed with swords and machetes, with, uh, I mean, spears and machetes. And Jim said these three quotes that I love. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And he said, wherever you are, be all there. And this third one I love, which is right in line with what Abram did, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. Abram didn't argue with God when God said, leave your people, your land, your possessions, and go to the land that I'll show you. And he said, so Abram took all his land, took his barren wife, took his nephew Lot, And he set out for Canaan. And God blessed Abram. And God blesses us as a result of his obedience. The second one is Thomas Birch Freeman. He's one of my heroes. He was born in a little village of Twyford in 1809. And he he was born in a situation where his father was an African and a gardener in a little village estate in Twyford. And his mother was a servant in that estate. She was a British white servant. And they legitimately could not get married. And so she got pregnant. They took him, took her, took Thomas as a baby to the little church in Twyford, the Church of England. And I've seen the birth record that says Thomas Freeman, born to Amy Birch. And they put in parentheses, poor. And then they wrote, illegitimate, December 6, 1809. So Thomas grew up in that situation as an illegitimate biracial kid from 1809 till he was in his teenage years, and he loved gardening just like his daddy did. And he went to Kew Gardens, which is one of the most amazing botanical gardens, and he studied and he became a horticulturalist and a botanist, and then he went and served in a village in Ipswich, But in the meantime, while he was living in the village of Twyford, he used to terrorize the local cobbler who was holding 
Methodist meetings and they would go up on the rooftop and they'd drop a brick down in the chimney and they would disturb the meeting as they were trying to gather as Methodists that were the evangelicals. The Church of England was very like this and the Methodists were, y'all know, like this. And so one night, Thomas gets there early, listens through the keyhole, and he hears the voice of God and gives his life to Jesus. And from that point on, he never disturbed the meeting again. In fact, he came into the meeting and God raised him up. And so when he became a, a, a botanist in this large estate in Ipswich, he also became a local Methodist preacher. And as he did that, God began to bless his ministry. And in 1835, God called one man named Joseph Dunwell to go to a land called the Gold Coast. And he landed there on January 1st, 1835. And in June 1835, he was dead from malaria. Two other families feel called of God to go to the Gold Coast, which is now Ghana. And of those four, three died within six months of landing on, in the continent. And the one remaining man wrote a letter back to England, back to the Methodist church and said, all have died. We need more missionaries. Please pray. 28-year-old T.B. Freeman sees that message and says, I must go. And these are his two quotes. I must spend and be spent. And he said, it is necessary that I go. It is not necessary that I live. I want to ask you, men and women, when is that going to be? Our mantra. When's that going to be our rallying point that we say, it's necessary that I go. It's not necessary that I live. You see, I want to see God raise up a generation who are willing to say, hey, it's necessary that I go. Right in the heart of Marietta, it's not necessary that I live. That I would die, that he might be glorified in my life. And whatever that means and whatever, how that comes out, I don't know, but God does. And my prayer for you is that you would take these words and own them. You would spend and be spent. You would say, it's necessary that I go. It's not necessary that I live. Men and women, God wants to change this community. He wants to change Cobb County. He wants to change the brothels and the bars and the prisons. And he's going to do it through us. He's going to change the world in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last thing I want you to do, you have little white cards at the end of your seat. If you could take one and pass it down to each person. And if you have a writing utensil, that you would simply ask God, God, if I, if I could be called anywhere, this is the place that I would be called. Maybe Jerusalem right here in Marietta. It may be Judea, Cobb County. It may be Samaria which is a hard place. It may be to the uttermost parts of the earth. I don't know where that is, but that you would just take a a moment and ask God to speak to me. And then as you leave today, there's going to be a basket in the back that you can just drop that in and say, this is my commitment. God, I don't know what it means. I don't know how it's going to flesh out. There's also back there on that table some ways to get involved in local ministries here through our church and that you would just pick one of those up and say, God, if this is a way that I can get involved, I want to be involved. Also, at the end of this time, when we have ministry time, at the end of that time, we're going to call all the mission team leaders that are here up front. And you've, you've got the paper. I'm not going to take the time that if you're interested, if God piques your heart about going to some place, I'm taking a group to Turkey in July. Adam's going to take another group to Turkey in November. And so, you know, there, there are lots of opportunities to get involved 
to do something cross-culturally. And, and I'll tell you, I don't know if you guys know Jimmy Drew. He's one of my good buddies. But if he can go to Zambia to do ministry, then any of you guys can go to do ministry. Let me hear you say amen, because that's, that's worthy of an amen. And I hope he listens to the tape. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes right now. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for David and for the leadership and for what you're doing in this church, that it it is about doing our deal and that you would begin to speak to us as, as you've done in many people's lives and you continue to do. And I pray today, God, that you would have a new army raised up that really begin to to, to not only just write it down, but believe it and take it and say, this is what God's calling me to do. I don't know what that means, what Samaria means, but I know I want to be available. I want to spend and be spent. It's necessary that I go. It's not necessary that I live. So, God, would you just speak to us now as a church that we would have a new empowerment, a prophetic empowerment of doing our deal for the sake of the kingdom. God, just speak to us and give us courage and don't allow the enemy to rob us and steal and tell us we're not worthy or gifted or talented enough or our sins too deep or too rich or fresh that that you wouldn't choose us. God, you choose every one of us right now. You chose Abram in the midst of who he was, who he wasn't. And you called him and he just simply obeyed. So God, help us with simple obedience to say, God, where? Jerusalem? Just write it down. Judea, write it down. Samaria, write it down. The uttermost parts of the earth, write it down. Trust God with your life. Trust Him with your life and your calling to do your deal for the sake of the kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.